On today's podcast, we're going to talk about autism and a couple of articles that was that were recently mm. published right. talking about the causes of autism, which is something we've been looking for for seven you know, decades, seventy years, yeah, right. um, and which is also uh, something that we will probably that will probably continue to be somewhat mm. elusive. Uh, you know, the w- one of the things that spurred this um, decision to talk about autism today is that <clears throat> we keep hearing this figure that one in fifty nine children mm-hmm. are now being diagnosed with autism. Right. And that there are four states that seem to have um, a significantly higher rate mm-hmm. than California, Texas, Utah, and one other state have a significantly higher rate. So there's some st- seems to be some geographic mm-hmm. overrepresentation, mm-hmm. N- but we're never sure. You know, is it because they're di- they're just better at diagnosing it, mm-hmm. or they're more mm-hmm. aggressive in diagnosing it, or is there something going on in those environments? Right. But this one in fifty nine figure is alarming. Right. It's a very, yeah. very high number for yeah. any kind of a disorder. We're not sure whether um, the rates are truly increasing. Mm-hmm. You know, are, are the underlying mechanisms really more prevalent now, mm-hmm. or are we just using a different set of diagnostic criteria? Right. I think the spectrum change mm-hmm. with DSM-5 right. um, added to it a little bit because now you can place children who have very, very mild symptoms mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you can make the diagnosis. Right. And so that opens up the window mm-hmm. some. So, but nobody's sure. Right. Okay? So as, we, um, as we, we looked at this topic, I thought, let's, let's see what, what's really going on here. Is there something that we need to know about? Because uh, the diagnosis is coming up more and more frequently. People yeah. are asking more and more questions. And we want to make sure we don't miss anybody right. who has the diagnosis. Right. On the other hand, we don't want to make the diagnosis in yeah. individuals who don't right. really have the disorder. Right. Yeah, I, I think one of the challenges is is maintaining <coughs> the integrity of what the condition is. Right. You know, mm-hmm. we, w- we've known for decades, mm-hmm. um, since we first discovered and started working with, right. with autism, that you know, it, it's a neurodevelopmental right. uh, condition. We know that it's um, you know, present from, from birth mm-hmm. uh, from very early on. And we also know that it's something that doesn't completely go away. Right. And right. You know, we, we get into these situations now where you know, kids are diagnosed with it and, mm-hmm. and then they are undiagnosed with it. And mm-hmm. it raises questions, of course, as, as to whether or not it was truly autism or, or not. And right. um, so th- th- those are discussions for a different right. podcast. But today we're going to focus on a few studies that were s- published that looked at the brain, looked mm-hmm. at um, different, um, right. looked at the brain in different ways right. to see if there's a re- relationship between how the brain is functioning and the autism spectrum uh, right. symptoms. Right. This confusion began way back in the 50s. Right. Um, the first person to describe these uh, symptoms was Leo Connor mm-hmm. uh, with a K, K A N N E R. And um, for some reason, this uh, concept of a refrigerator mom. Right. Um, came out of those first studies and because there was some relationship they thought that there was some thing that mothers were or were not doing with children that um, made them less social or less verbal or less something or other and so mothers were taking a bad rap for a long time and it turns out that that's not the cause of autism Mm -hmm. uh, because there were there were children with very active involved mothers who Mm -hmm. also had the symptoms. Right, they referred to refrigerator moms because they were saying that the mothers were cold and 
and, and not very em emotive mm -hmm. and that the kids um, you know, just didn't engage with them uh, right. any more than they would the refrigerator. Right. So after taking a decade or so of bad, uh, bad rap for moms, um, people began to say, no, there's, there's something else to this. And because it appears very, very early, mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. appears in kids from all different kinds of families. Mm -hmm. Um, and then um, later on, uh, people began to do genetic studies. So the diagnosis was first described in, in the 50s, and then by the 70s, we were doing right. twin studies. And we found that with the twin studies that there was a much higher concordance in identical twins than in fraternal twins. Right. And people began to say, well, maybe there is a biological right. mechanism at work here. Yeah, okay. So by the 70s, it was clear that there was some biological mechanism involved. Right. Whenever you get a disorder like this that's very complex and controversial and hard to pin down, you get all kinds of hypotheses, right. all kinds of, I think it's this, and I think it's this, and I think it's this. And one of the things that has plagued autism research are these what, false leads. Mm -hmm. um, the most famous of the false leads mm -hmm. is the link between autism and immunizations. Right. And, um, we don't want to go into that here, but people speculated that there was something mm -hmm. about the immunization that created autism, that yeah. children would get their immunizations and suddenly develop right. the symptoms. Um, there have been studies about that. Okay? Other people think it's gluten, that mm -hmm. there's something in the diet, right. there's something in the digestive system. So there are many, many uh, proposed causes right. of this disorder. Some have been... Um, Disproven or mm -hmm. or or uh, shown to be not true. Right. Uh, others are still being investigated. But one of the ones that has remained robust is there's something different about the brains right. in children with autism. Right. So over the years, many many studies have been done, but one of the recurring finding positive findings is the brains of individuals with autism seem to work differently. Right. We don't exactly know what those differences mm -hmm. are, but yeah. that's so. When we jumped into this um, fray today about autism causes, um, we wanted to look at what are these brain right. mechanisms and and what might we learn. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. And and when they when we've looked at the brain as it relates to children with mm -hmm. autism, th there again have been a number of um, speculations, mm -hmm. a number of hypotheses thrown out um, from you know just the size of the brain. Um, right. There were discussions about mm -hmm. you know kids with Autism may have smaller or larger brains right. than, than mm -hmm. the typical, um, typically developing child. Right. Uh, the density um, mm -hmm. that you know, as we develop, uh, many of our neurons are pruned back. Right. Um, neurons and mm -hmm. neuron neuronal connections are pruned back, um, and that they were hypothesizing that in kids right. with autism, uh, that pruning doesn't happen mm -hmm. as as well. And so right. they continue to have all these connections, so their brain doesn't work as efficiently. Right. Too many connections, right. and it's not efficient. You right. know, it's kind of stumbling around up right. there. Mm -hmm. uh, but the studies today look at some very specific mm -hmm. uh, aspects of the brain, specifically related to the way the neurons are working. Right. Um, and in both cortical, so surface level, um, mm -hmm. you know, that, that wrinkly area at the top of our brain. Um, and as well as some subcortical, some, right. some areas inside the brain. That's right. Whenever we, whenever we look at the brain, we always look at two things. Right. One is, is the structure correct? Right. Is it, is it, um, 
are all the pieces there, and mm -hmm. are they the right size, and, and do, does everything look right? right? So is the geography of the brain good? Yeah. The other thing we look at is, is functions. Mm -hmm. How does the brain process information? Right. And the studies we're talking about today are studies about these connections, right. because the brain is trying to, the p different pieces of the brain must communicate with each other, mm -hmm. so information flows. Right. Think of these super highways of mm -hmm. electrical information coursing through your brain all day long. Right. Um, and so that's the second thing we want to look at is, is information moving through the brain right. correctly? Right, mm -hmm. yeah, and, and neurons communicate in two ways. They mm -hmm. communicate electrically and chemically. Mm -hmm. You know, when we do EEGs and things like that, we're looking at electrical right. communication. And that, that electrical communication is within the cell itself. So, mm -hmm. you know, you have the, the, um, the cell body at, at one end and it receives information from other, other neurons mm -hmm. And when it decides that it's going to uh, communicate with somebody else, um, an electrical um, current basically runs mm -hmm. down this long tail called the axon to the end where it will communicate with other neurons. Connects to another neuron and keeps the electricity right. flowing. Uh, right. Mm -hmm. And so that electrical current <coughs> is what we're measuring with EEGs. Right. And that was, the, that was the focus of some of these studies today. That's right. How is this information moving? Because when information moves around the brain, it moves from front to back, back mm -hmm. to front, left to right, right to left. Mm -hmm. But it also, there are structures underneath mm -hmm. that, that wrinkled part of your brain. And there's also, and we call those subcortical. The part below. Under the cortex. Yeah, the cortex is the wrinkly part. Right, and there's information moving around inside there too. So mm -hmm. you sort of have two layers of right. highways, if you will. One at the top, which is more uh, where our cognitive mm -hmm. thinking, mm -hmm. reading, speaking, writing abilities occur. And then underneath that, where sensation and um, emotion and all those things are occurring. So you have two layers mm -hmm. of complicated superhighways with information moving back mm -hmm. and forth. Right, okay. yeah. And, and so the studies today were, were interested in looking at how efficient mm -hmm. uh, those were because they were, the hypothesis right. was that some of that communication would be lower, um, the hypo, um, lower uh, communication right. between right. in some of those areas than what we would see in typically developing right. kids. Right. And when we study um, the flow of information right. in a brain, we're typically measuring blood flow. Right. Because blood flows to active neurons. Right. And it should get there in a certain amount of time. Right. So these two studies that we're going to talk about today both used blood flow. Yeah. The technology is functional magnetic resonance imaging, but what we're measuring is how how much blood is flowing and how quickly it's flowing right. in as as the as it moves around the brain. Right, and, and it, we look at blood because blood is what transports fuel, mm -hmm. um, and neurons need fuel to function, and mm -hmm. so blood is bringing the, the glucose and the oxygen to those neurons so that they can function. And so the, the obvious then hypothesis is that wherever more blood is going, more fuel is going, wherever more fuel is going, more fuel is being used. That's right. Um, and if more fuel is being used, those neurons are presumed to be more active. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because if, if I'm burning up more blood at a faster rate, the assumption is that my brain is working better than somebody who's less blood at a slower rate. Right. Okay, so yeah. it's a, it's, in that, in that sense, a simple thing, but right. it's a very complex technology. Right, okay. exactly. Okay. And so again, the, the hypothesis was that individuals with autism had decreased uh, functioning or decreased um, amount of blood flow right. to certain regions of the brain. 
and they were surprised with their findings. Right. The first study was done at the Children's Hospital of Los Angeles, and, um, and it's exactly what they predicted. The researchers said they predicted that what they assumed that they would find in um, people with autism is that there would be less blood flow, mm -hmm. and that was the assumption that everybody made, is that we're going to see less blood flow in people with autism because of, their, because right. of the symptoms. Okay. What they found was just the opposite. Right. They found increased blood flow right. in the brains of individuals with autism. Right. Um, to explain this, yeah. the researchers said that what it looks like is that the brain is trying to compensate mm -hmm. for what should be normal blood flow. Right. So instead of um, having less blood flow, the brains of people with autism are, are trying, trying to, mm -hmm. they're not succeeding in compensating, but they're trying to compensate by pushing more blood mm -hmm. to those areas that should be active. Right. It's not working for them, but that's what that's right. how they explain the increased right. blood flow in the brains of individuals with autism. Right. The second thing they found was that there's a protein that's produced by healthy neurons, mm -hmm. and that people with autism had less of this protein, right. which means they had fewer healthy neurons. Right. So to compensate for the fewer healthy neurons, mm -hmm. you get increased blood flow. Right. Again, it's, a, it's the brain's attempt to normalize itself. Right. Unfortunately, it's not playing a compensatory role right. and, and it's not it's not increasing in fact the more the more blood flow you have the higher your scores are on the autism rating scales right okay so there's yeah. a correlation between the amount of blood flow and the severity of your symptoms right mm -hmm. yeah so this this relationship is really interesting because it, it again kind of goes back to some of the other hypotheses that we had right. talked about when it relates to the brain for example you would you might um, intuitively but also incorrectly assume that well the more neurons you have the better right um, right mm -hmm. but that's not the case not, right. because mm -hmm. the more neurons you have the um, the more ineffective or inefficient your brain is going to be right. so your brain's not going to work as well exactly. and, and here we have a lot of uh, energy going to these areas of the brain that already aren't functioning very well and in it's maybe that that great uh, example of you know more medicine isn't necessarily better. You know, you pushing more there doesn't necessarily mm -hmm. make it run any better. It, right. If you're, if the engine in your car isn't working, it doesn't matter how much gas you put in there. Um, it's just not going to in work. In fact, you can do called flooding. You right. can flood the engine with right. too much gasoline. So yeah. you're right. More isn't necessarily better. Right. right. And that's certainly the case here. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, in the second, now this was this was more on the cortical. That's um, right. So mm -hmm. this was looking at the the surface layer right. uh, of the brain and how it functions. And the second study is from um, Birmingham. University uh, of Alabama at yeah. Birmingham. And mm -hmm. it was looking at subcortical That's uh, right. Regions. These researchers wanted to see uh, what was happening in the shorter fibers. The, mm -hmm. the, 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 the fibers in the cortex are much longer. Mm -hmm. To go from the back of your head to the front of your head yeah. is a longer distance. The subcortical structures are much closer to yeah. each other and the fibers are real short. Right. So they wanted to see if the same, these researchers wanted to see if the same things were happening there. Yeah. And they checked two things. They checked sensory functions and they checked um, sort of cognitive information yeah. that moves around in the subcortical areas of the brain. There's some of that going on. So they checked both sensory functions, a, mm -hmm. a single sense at one time. They looked at vision or hearing or um, olfaction, smell. 
And they also looked at these underlying um, cognitive connections, right. okay? And again, they found problems with how quickly and how efficiently the information was moving around. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it, in fact, they found very similar results. Right. Um, mm -hmm. That there, were, there was more um, energy going mm -hmm. to these areas, but that didn't make them more efficient, more effective, or more mm -hmm. uh, functional. Right. Now, obviously, these, the results are very complicated, but to, to simplify it, what the researchers in Birmingham found was that if you take a single sense, you get over connections, right. you get too much activity, right. and they, which makes us think that maybe that's why they get stuck on a single sense. Right. Okay. That right. whether they're looking at something or hearing something, they get completely focused on one thing and they ignore other things. Right. Okay. And and, and may also be why there's that hypersensitivity. Exactly. To in mm -hmm. in many uh, sensory areas. Well, um, you're absolutely right. You get that um, hyper reactivity to right. touch and yeah. um, textures yeah. in their mouths and things. Sounds and because stuff. it's it's over stimulated, right. over connected. Right. Okay. And so and again, it's it's like the brain is trying to trying to say, hey, we need more energy there because it's, right. it doesn't have the protein as many much of the proteins. It doesn't have as much of the uh, functionality that we need it to. Right. So it's trying to fix that. But by trying to fix it, it's really making some it's of these other symptoms that we um, right. identify as characterological to autism. And that's what I find fascinating about these two studies yeah. is that. You can almost, see, I mean, the brain is doing everything it can yeah. to write itself, to make itself work right, but in doing so, it's trapping the person right. in this in this um, laser-like focus yeah. on a single dimension. Mm -hmm. Okay, and that's the, that is what it looks like behaviorally. Yeah. Okay, right, exactly. And so, and the other thing they found was with the more cognitive structures where you um, that are more complex. They they call it multimodal. Instead of unimodal, it's, there's several things going on at one time. Here, they found underconnectivity. There, right. were, there weren't enough connections, right. and they couldn't they couldn't make all of these connections. And again, you see that behaviorally, yeah. where they're not connecting things. Mm -hmm. Things don't make sense. Um, and so, these two studies, if you if you look at them together, sort of are are kind of elegant elegant biological explanations mm -hmm. for the symptoms that we see. In right. individuals with autism, right mm -hmm. now it doesn't it doesn't necessarily get to the cause, no, in, in any way. And we, we included a, a, a third article from the conversation right. that talks a little <laughs> bit about what we know uh, as it relates to the cause. Uh, but these studies don't 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 answer those questions. Right. It, it says you know these are symptoms. These are things that are happening in the brain that may help explain why the symptoms right. are happening. Mm -hmm. uh, symptoms are present, but it doesn't explain why the brain has to function that way to begin mm, with. Right. Um, you know, we don't know if that's uh, a genetic thing. We don't know if it's, a, mm -hmm. um, if it's just a uh, neuronal migratory issue or if it's um, you know, some, some other right. environmental um, toxin that the child may be exposed to in mm -hmm. utero. Mm -hmm. um, we don't know. That's right. There, there are genetic mechanisms. There are chromosomal, mm -hmm. possibly chromosomal abnormalities. So you have some heritability factor right. here. Mm -hmm. There are also environmental factors. Right. Um, there's geographic, mm -hmm. environmental, uh, medications taken during pregnancy, mm -hmm. um, infections during pregnancy. Yeah. So there are a lot of risk factors during pregnancy that, that could result in this disorder. There are also metabolic digestive problems yeah. that have been linked yeah. with autism. Um, we mentioned gluten earlier. Right. There might be other things. 
There's the whole immunization controversy that right. some people absolutely believe that immunizations are a problem. Mm -hmm. That's not going away. Mm -hmm. um, and in fact, uh, this flu season, we've seen an increase in childhood illnesses that were mm. once prevented, right. that are now making a comeback. Right. Measles in particular is making a comeback because many parents are opting not to get their children right. immunized because of the fear of autism. So that whole connection, which the scientific community says doesn't exist, hasn't reached the public yet, and right. many are, are not getting their children immunized. Right. So there are many putative causes of autism, and so we wanted to include this article from the conversation right. because it sort of does a nice, nice overview mm -hmm. of, um, of talking about the various causes. Um, as neuropsychologists, our interest is in the, um, the biological mechanisms, the mm -hmm. brain mechanisms, right. because there is something about the brains of individuals with autism. Yeah. And the two studies that we report today, I think, are really right. good good um, additions yeah. to that absolutely. literature. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. So, so check those articles out. We'd love to hear from you if you have any questions mm -hmm. or thoughts or, you know, any personal experiences that may, um, you know, relate to any of this. You know, there's a there's one other thing that. Um, um, there, there are groups around the country now who are using neurofeedback mm -hmm. to um, try to re-regulate the brains yeah. of individuals with autism. And um, these two studies sort of say, well, maybe that's a, that could be a promising area right. of research because if the neurofeedback does re-regulate the brain, right. these two studies suggest that that's exactly what we should be doing is neurofeedback. So we're going to talk more about that in yeah. some other... Um, Podcasts. Yeah, okay. yeah. We are um, we're, we're we're getting we are now connected to a group that does mm -hmm. uh, neurofeedback, and we'll be offering that here in our office pretty soon. So we're really excited Very about soon. that. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, the the findings um, coming from the lab, our lab um, in Sarasota, mm -hmm. have been very positive with yeah. children with ADHD and children with autism. Yeah. So uh, it's a promising area of research, and yeah. we'll keep you posted as we move along. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So, all right. Well, that's it. We would love for you to to write to us. Let us know what you think. Um, if there's any particular topics that you would like for us to cover, we'd love to hear from you about that. Yeah, actually, um, we'd like to do more podcasts. It's strange doing just one a week. It. it I'm still not used to. I it. feel I'm guilty. I know. I feel like a laggard. You know, I like know. I'm not doing enough. I'm like lazy. Because I'm. Th we used to say we do a podcast every day, and people say, "Wow, that's a lot." Um, and we decided to scale back a little bit and focus on these topics like, like we did today with autism. But I miss mm -hmm. not talking about these things on a more regular basis. Yeah. So maybe we'll do two a week. Yeah, we may have to expand uh, and do a little bit more. Right. Maybe bring in some more guests and do some different things. Right. Um, you weren't able to make it last week, but we had a, a guest co-host last week, which was, I know. which was really great. And I was a little um, bit worried, the placement parts. You know, gotta gotta keep the options open. <laughs> you know, keep keep them motivated. <laughs> They're nipping at your heels. That's so right. Don't yeah. take anything for granted. It's, just, it's it's ironic that you suggest maybe two podcasts a week. Right. How many after podcasts have we done? Eight hundred. Um, around total. 800. Yeah. 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 After eight hundred yeah. podcasts, I'm still auditioning for my role here. <laughs> Never know. Never know. So. But we miss talking to you guys on a more regular basis. So. Absolutely, and we, we, we are getting ready to, to start um, putting together some of the workshops and mm -hmm. courses and stuff we want to do online too, right. so that's coming up. So. Hang in there. Right. All right. Okay. That is it then for today. Until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, and forget to be afraid. Mm -hmm.